just step into this earthly body and speak through him. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. I just have to say something real quick. What an amazing church we have. I mean, when you walk in here, you just immediately feel incredible. You feel the sweet presence of God. Uh, it's, it's amazing to come in here and worship with um, people from all over. We're not just located here centrally. We've got people driving from all over to come be in this church family, and it's, it's amazing. And I love to just be in worship with us and see everybody uh, in the mornings greeting each other. It's awesome. We have an amazing church family, but I just want to be obedient to the Spirit real quick if I can before I start the sermon. You know, I've been noticing this month is an important month. A lot of us have been affected by what the awareness of this month causes. Uh, this month is Suicide Awareness Month, and for a lot of us, it hits home in our community, in our family, um, and I have seen this impact in my own life, but I have been seeing an increased number of, of attacks of depression, mental struggle, just that dread feeling this month when we're trying to bring awareness to it, and I feel the responsibility of a man of God and somebody who loves Jesus and loves people to just stand up this morning and let some people know that God sees you exactly where you are this morning. If you are struggling with a mental struggle, uh, uh, struggles of depression, of any type of thoughts that are negative, not from God, what I want want to encourage you to do is do what uh, happened this morning during worship, is come get in this altar, get in the presence, tap Doug or Nancy or another elder or somebody up here, and we will pray for you. I met with three or four people this week who all struggle with the same thing, Tim. Every single one wanted prayer for depression, for mental struggles, and, and thoughts of anxiety, depressing thoughts. And you know what I did this week when I prayed with those people? I started to plead the blood of Jesus over them. I started to speak the name of Jesus over them. I started to cast out depression. I started to cast out negative thoughts. I started to pray for the peace of God which passed is all understanding to fall upon them. And I started to pray these things. And I'm telling you, I could feel a shift. The people could feel a shift. And they started to feel lighter. So this morning, if you feel a bit of heaviness, why don't you come get the name of Jesus spoken over you. Get the blood of Jesus pleaded over you. And let's cast out this depression. Let's cast out this mental struggle. The problem with depression and mental struggles is what we do is we normally don't tell anybody, Tim. We just go through it on our own, but that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to bring those thoughts to light. He wants you to bring the enemy's scheme in your life to light so that you can have prayer and so that you can have freedom. So please, if you are struggling this month, if you know a friend that's struggling, bring them up here. Let's pray for them. Let's seek the presence of God together, and, and freedom is taking place. Uh, like Doug said this morning, God is doing some amazing things supernaturally, and we just need to get involved in it. The enemy wants to keep us on the sidelines and all of our issues, all of our problems, and Jesus is here, and he's ready to meet us. He's ready to set us free, and he's ready to touch our lives, and I just want to encourage anybody that's been struggling. There's freedom in this place, amen? I just, I had to do that this morning. 
But as we enter into grace, part 11 this morning, we are in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Um, It's a very, very popular text. I don't have time to cover all 21 verses. I'm going to open up and read the parable before it. um, And then we're going to walk along the story together. Has the series of grace been so good? Uh, I have learned so much just meeting, uh, hearing these words, meeting with the team, putting these words together, and it's just been incredible to see the grace of God in our lives as we walk it out daily. And I hope today will be another encouragement to you. I'm going to be reading starting in verse number three, I'm going to read to verse number seven this morning. This is just a little pre-story before we get into the main text So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I For I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Those are words from Jesus this morning. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your sweet spirit in this place, Lord. Thank you for meeting with us today, God. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us with your word, that you would encourage us today as we are in this service, and God, just touch the hearts and lives of people today. Let us be changed and set free by your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you Jesus' clearest illustration on grace. Although the term grace doesn't appear in the story, What Jesus is doing here to set things up, he's sitting, the Bible says, amongst sinners and tax collectors, and there's crowds and multitudes of religious people, and he's sharing with them stories of God's grace. He's trying to paint a clear picture of God's grace. It's in your Bible. It's titled, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. It starts in verse number 11. But that is misleading. The title's misleading. It's not a parable about one son, but how many of you know, you've read the story, there's two sons in the story. Jesus made it clear in his opening statement when teaching that the story was about not just the one, but it was about two. And it's about these two sons represented the two parties he was speaking to, the not-so-good people and the good religious people. As different as these two were, These two sides were both sons in the parable struggled to go to the party the father's throwing, right? Both of them find themselves wondering why they should attend this party. This wondering, this resistance to the party comes from their shared misunderstanding of God's grace and their shared misunderstanding of their father. Jesus is sharing this story with the people who were the same as the two boys, There were the good people, the religious people, 
who wanted to know why Jesus was spending so much time with the sinners and the tax collectors, and then there were the not-so-good people or the non-religious people who also wanted to know the same thing. Why would a rabbi seek them out? Uh, they were the outcasts. They were the ones far from what the religious norms were, what society uh, was, but yet Jesus sought them out. Luke 15 and verse 2 it says, And both the Pharisees and the scribes began complaining, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there were the non-religious people there, and they were, they were confused. And there was also the other party. He wasn't ex- the son in this story, the prodigal son who had left, squandered all of his inheritance from his father, found himself in a pig's pen, The famine hit the land. He had nothing to eat. He found out that he was in the lowest of lows. He left everything good behind. And he thought just maybe he was worth a servant's hire to his father. And he would at least have enough food to eat if he could go back home and be a servant. So the son that comes back home prepares a speech. He wasn't ready for a party He wasn't ready for a warm welcome from his dad, but he prepares a speech in verse verse, uh, 22. We see that the father runs out to the son to meet the son coming home, and the father ignores the son's speech of what the son says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against my father. I'm only worthy to be your servant. Has anybody else ever felt that way towards God? God, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I'm, I'm not even worthy of you, God. I'm not worthy of your grace. That's where this son was. And, this, and the dad, being the complete opposite of what the son expected, he said, he ignored that speech, and he responded like his son was a war hero coming home, and he said to him, But quick, to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In verse 23 he said, and bring forth the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's eat and celebrate. Not what the son thought he was coming home to. He just left the father, left, left with his inheritance, spent it all on riotous living, and he was not expecting his dad to, to have welcome arms. But he did in the story Jesus is sharing. Forget the fact that we know how the story ends. What if there's something we've missed in the story? What if there's actually two different stories going on? What if there is a story about a son who messed up, sinned, fallen short, failed his father, and is trying to come home? And, but what if there's another story of a father who's just happy to see his son home? Do any of us get in that spot? Sometimes we've been in that spot in life. We feel like the younger son who has messed up. Oh no, what is my dad going to think? I'm going to come I'm going to come to him, but I'm I'm not looking forward to what he has to say. As any I've been in those moments. I've messed up not only with my earthly dad, but also with my heavenly father. But the father in this story hasn't seen his son in ages and sees him coming down the road and immediately welcomes him home and wants to throw a party for him. If you were to ask the son his side of the story, he would tell you of all the things that he did wrong, all his failures, all his shortcomings. But if you would ask the father 
to tell his side of the story, he would tell you, my son's finally home. I'm here to tell some people this morning, God's not looking at what you've done. He's not holding your past against you, but what he's waiting for is you to come down that road so he can say, come on in, my son's finally home. My daughter's finally home, amen? What a God. So we see these two stories, and there's a little bit of a disconnect. Let's explain it this way. If you had a neighbor who was a father and had a son who had troubles with drug and alcohol, spent thousands of dollars on drug rehabilitation, only just to leave rehab early, come home, steal all of the jewelry in the house, exit back out for two more years, all of a sudden he shows up in your neighbor's driveway and you get a call from your buddy, your neighbor, and he says, hey man, my son's just come home, let's have a party. You'd have some what if questions. You would, you would question that, like, wait a minute, you're ready to throw a party for this guy? You'd have the what ifs, like, has he really changed? Is there a change at all? Or is he back for good? Is he actually back for good? Or why not wait a few weeks to have a party? You would ask all these questions. It's too early for a party. What are you doing, man? These are all great, great questions if you're focused on the boy's past failures. Now hold that thought while we finish walking through this story. The older son, the second son, he was a rule keeper. He did everything right. He served his father. He would be the type of son in this culture you would want to have. When he heard his father was throwing a party for the younger rebellious son, he had some issues. Verse 28 reads this, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. The party was going on. The fattened calf was being killed. They were having a great time. The younger son was home. The older son hears the party going on and asks one of the servants, what's all this about? What is this? And he says, hey, man, your, your brother's home. Your father's throwing a party. Immediately, the older son was angry because he had never done his father wrong. When his father came outside to find out that the older brother also prepared a speech just like the younger brother, but it had some tweaks to it. It was all about, yes, how the younger brother had messed up, made so many mistakes, and was unworthy of his father, father's grace. But he also added in some other things. And verse 29, we'll see. He says, but he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's bringing up his performance. You see how he's, he weigh, he's weighing the younger son's performance and bringing up his performance. And what comes next is powerful. It's the whole point of the parable of the prodigal son. Grace in its rawest form in verse number 30. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. The father did something that was totally unexpected, and I'm thankful that our father does the same thing. He gave us exactly, he gave the younger son exactly what he didn't deserve. 
where he, he came home, he, sh- he could have been scolded. He could have been asked about the inheritance he wasted. He could have been asked about all of his failures. What were you doing out there? Why would you ever leave? But the father slaughtered the fattened calf and threw a party. He gave the younger son exactly what he didn't deserve. And both boys were confused by that. Even the one receiving the party, was he was confused of why his dad would be throwing him a party. And the father, though, in his version of the story, he was equally confused as to why they wouldn't just come celebrate. Why wouldn't you come celebrate? These were two, uh, these were two different stories about two different things. One is the story of boys trying to get what they think they deserve. Another one a story about a father whose son has come home. I'm here to tell you, church, God does not, he's not in the business of giving us what we deserve. Uh, there's, no, there's no payment method. There's no good reward system. God is in the business of giving us grace. He's in the business of giving us what we don't deserve. He's in the business of as long as we, when we come down that driveway and he sees us, Tim, he sees you turning back to him, he's in the business to wrap you up and celebrate. Just like in the first story we read, why wouldn't the shepherd throw on on the sheep, the sheep that was lost on his shoulders, call all his friends and family and celebrate. That is the God we serve, the God of grace. Both boys thought the father's response should reflect what they deserved. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that my response, the response the father gave me, the response God gave me, it didn't reflect what I deserved. It didn't reflect my past, my behavior, what it was. Thankfully, God welcomed me with open arms. I believe that if God rewarded us with what we deserved, we'd probably be in an empty church right now, and a lot of us wouldn't be standing here today, but grace. They both thought their behavior should be taken into account. The younger brother, dad, I'm not worthy. And the older brother, dad, he's not worthy. I am, though. They both thought they should be rewarded from their behavior. But the father's story is not about behavior. What the boys had or hadn't done was irrelevant to the father in this very moment. You can read it in verse 32. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, has begun to live. He was lost, but now he's fine, found. Why celebrate so soon? Why throw a party? Why no mention of the wasted inheritance? Why no wasted of the money? Uh, why no mention of the wasted money? Why no mention of where have you been? Why did the father celebrate so soon? Jesus made the illustration clear when he was talking to both parties. He said the father celebrates because what was lost is now found. What was dead is now alive. The father's story is a celebration of you. It's a celebration of us. It's a celebration of what was once lost, what was once gone, what was once had their backs turned against them is now found and now here. He celebrates the fact of a restored relationship, amen? God celebrates, first and foremost, restored relationship. 
while we always want to make it about rehabilitation, we always want to make it about getting on the right road, doing all the right things, making all the right steps, God first and foremost celebrates restoration. We can't forget that it was the break in the garden that broke God's heart. It was the break of relationship in the garden that broke his heart. So why do we get so surprised when we hear a story of God celebrating, the Father celebrating a restored relationship? Maybe we're the younger brother of the story. Maybe we're the ones who say, God, I'm not good enough for you. I'm not good enough to be saved. I'm not good enough for your grace. You have no idea what I've done. I'm just here to be a servant maybe. Or maybe we're the older son that says, God, I've never failed you. I've never, uh, I've never turned against you. I've done everything right. I'm deserving of something. Maybe you've been arguing the whole way through this grace sermon series that you don't know what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're saying, you're letting everybody off too easy. You're letting grace let everybody off too easy. Here's the thing we need to understand about God and we need to understand about the Father's story is he is not impressed or distressed with anything that we've done or what we think others should be doing. The Father in this story, Jesus is telling the two sides here, he's not impressed with the older brother and he's not distressed with the younger brother. What he's happy is that the son came home. Those things, what we should be doing, what the older brother thought the younger brother should be doing, and what the younger brother thought he failed at, are irrelevant to the message of grace. That's our message. That's what we're talking about. We are talking about grace, the free invitation that we all get. Because in the Father's story, you are the focus of a celebration, not what you've done. In the Father's story, you are the focus of celebration, not what you've done. You were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. You were sick, but now you're healed. You were bound up, but now you're set free. You were once gone, but now you're here. You are the focus of a celebration. You are welcomed and embraced by God the Father, and you are a celebration to Him. Amen. So many times we make it about performance or the enemy wants us to make it about performance. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. Absolutely. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single perfect person that sits in these seats. But God the Father says you are worth a celebration. Eddie, you are worth a celebration because you're sitting in that chair today. You are worth a celebration, Rod, because you're sitting in that chair today. All because you accepted the invitation of grace. The best news that God would ever receive about you is that you're not lost anymore. You've been found. If you're here in this place and you're hearing a message of grace for the first time, God is just searching for you. He's not upset about where you've been right now. He's not, he's not stressed out over where you were or what, or what you've done. But he's ready to welcome you into his arms. He's ready to welcome you into a relationship with him again.
You see, church, in our story, we're going to continue searching for reasons for God to love us. We're going to try to come up with reasons within ourselves. We're also going to continue searching for reasons that God cannot love us, why he should not love us. So here's my suggestion on your story, our story, the way we view things and his. Throw ours out and accept God's story. Throw your story out. Throw how you view things out and accept the Father's. Accept the fact that he wants to extend grace and mercy, amen? Because in his story, he loves you no matter what you've done. In his story, the future is, the past is the past, and the future is bright with him. In his story, he cannot love you more now, and he will not love you less. Amen? He could not love you more now, and he will not love you less. That is grace. Amen? It's a better story. It's a true story. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God. While we've been studying these last 15 weeks, there's been a voice in the back of all of our heads saying, what about obedience? What about disobedience? What about repeated misbehavior? What about bad habits? What about justice? What about repentance? It's tempting to go from, a, go from church where we hear about grace and to go home and talk about all these things. It's tempting to go from grace and go talk about the consequences of sin. After all, we can't have people running around misusing God's grace, right? But all the whatabouts are irrelevant in a discussion of grace. There is no connection at all to grace and the what about. What about this? What about that? What about him? What about her? What about what they've done? What about where they've been? And grace, there's no connection. Grace trumps all of that. Grace, undeserved, is what God wants to give us over all of that. All, of the, all the what abouts, God wants us to receive grace. To add something to God's grace to make it about something else is what, would, what we would call almost grace. It's almost true. It's almost the grace of God if we add things to it, we add strings attached to it. It's almost grace. But what we know about something that's almost true, it's not true, is it? It's not true. All, 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 of, the, all of the skeptics, all of the religions, all of the things that make God's grace about something else, it's just not true. God's grace is what's true. If the Father's grace was measured by anything other than his love for us, the church would be full of empty seats. There'd be no reason to celebrate. If some of us needed to be better before we got an invitation of grace, if some of us needed to make less mistakes before we got the invitation of grace, if some of us needed to earn our way in through some good works, through some great deeds, through doing everything perfect, we wouldn't, ex we wouldn't get an invitation of grace. 
if these things were true and we added to grace, we all wouldn't be here. Where the Wishart team come? My favorite part in the story is that God highlights two points. He highlights the younger son and the fact that he is able to welcome him in despite what he's done. And he also highlights the older son and that he needs just as much grace as the younger son. See, none of us are on one side or the other that's better. The younger son, he needed grace. The older son, he needed grace too. The younger son came to his senses when he was in the pig's pen and knew he needed to go to his father's house to find grace. The older son in the house, close to his father, also still needed grace. If you're here in this place this morning and you feel like the younger son, I want you to know that it's not too late to come to your senses. I want you to know that as you're preparing your speech as to why you can't be received back into the home, God the Father is waiting to meet you and run down the road. And if you're the older son, and you feel like, oh, why does God bless them so much? Well, how come grace for them? Where's my, I'm trying to, I'm doing everything that I can to please you, God. Realize that grace is something worth celebrating. Amen. The first series message I did when I preached on Jonah. And Jonah was unwilling to celebrate the grace God showed the Ninevites. The older son, we also see this highlight, unwilling to celebrate. But church, we can celebrate the grace of God shed out to the world and our community. This church is full of people who didn't deserve God's grace because we have the most incredible Heavenly Father who sent His very absolute best, Jesus. He made us able to be a part of the celebration. Come on, He made us able to be a part of the celebration. And whichever side of the story you are on, if you view yourself as the not-so-good people or you view yourself as the good people, there is grace, abundant grace, more than enough grace for all of us. Amen? Stand with me in this place. As we think about the prodigal son... And we think about what Jesus is telling the two sides here. Think about it in terms of where we are right now in our own lives. Think about it in terms of where our relationship is with the Father. And I want to bring an encouragement to anyone struggling, thinking negative things about their relationship with the Father, thinking the distance they've created, the things that they've done, getting down on themselves, allowing the enemy to beat you up, telling you you're out of relationship, you're not close enough, you're not where you should be. I want to encourage you and let you know 
that the Father is just waiting on you. That's my encouragement. The Father is waiting on you. That's what this grace message is about. The Father's there. He's waiting. And if you're here in this place and you're struggling with other issues, you're struggling through hard times, family times, you're struggling uh, in any aspect of your life, I want you to know, although it's a little cloudy, although things appear a little dark, although maybe the sun doesn't seem like it's shining as bright, it's still there on the other side of the clouds. It's still there on the other side of these trials. Just like the Heavenly Father, He's still there on the other side of these trials. He's still there on the other side of what you can't see, and He sees you, and He's still working, and He's still moving, and He's still in control, and He still has your best interests in mind, and He still thinks great thoughts about you, and He still wants to reach you, and He wants to pull you through. And if you're, any, if you're anywhere of those two places, come get in His presence. Find somebody to pray. If you're struggling mentally, depression, anxiety, come find Nancy, come find an elder, come find me, let's pray. And let's just give this end of the service over to God and say, Father, we're coming home to you and we're receiving your invitation of grace. I'm 